Everyone dreams about living an uncommon life, but how we define that dream is very different for each of us. And for most, it's a lifelong pursuit. Welcome to the Uncommon Life Project Podcast. We're going to introduce you to people who are living that life or enjoying the journey to get there. We're going to also give you some tools, tricks, and tips for starting or accelerating your own efforts to live an uncommon life, a life worth celebrating and savoring. Please welcome your hosts, Brian Dewhurst and Philip Ramsey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another show of the Uncommon Life Project, where I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I am Brian Dewhurst. We're coming back at you with a couple ideas, uh, Duocast. And here's the deal. At the end of the day, a lot of people in the more traditional mindset who haven't had a, a chance to go down the uncommon route, chances are we'll have a, a lot of wealth masked in these uh, retirement plans. So today we wanted to at least educate you on the different approaches that you can take within now that you're in retirement mode. Um, and you're wanting to get some cash flow off of these bigger assets. Um, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of different opinions out there. Our job is to educate you and then let you take it and then use it and then maybe bounce ideas off of us, answer any questions, but then make it the best for you. Because as I know, and the older I get, the more I'm understanding that people are just different. Some people want a lot of guarantees. Some people are okay with risks, but we're all different. Our job is to educate you on each. And so that's what we're hopefully going to do today in this show is kind of walk through um, if you're in more of a traditional mindset who's, who's starting to put a lot of money in these 401ks, what to do when you get to the end, when you're ready to punch out or to at least give you some ideas when you're getting that direction. So I'm kind of excited about the show. It's something that I don't think a lot of people do because they're all, a lot of advisors are very opinionated on what you should do in this mode. Um, and one size doesn't fit all here. And I would just, I'm going to poke at my uncle, uh, Dave Ramsey, which is not my uncle. But uh, that's, I think, my biggest beef with him is like, he's like one size fits all. Don't question me. Don't <laughs> just do what I say. And that's the part where I'm really, you know, that's where I like my blood boils, my blood pressure goes up because there's many ways to do things, uh, not just uh, one way. So we want to try to educate you on this show to give you multiple options and you can kind of figure out which one the best one is for you. What would you say about the show? B-Dog. Yeah, I'm excited. We uh, obviously love helping people retire and um, probably one of the most uh, humbling things to do and to take on for someone is to help them with that. Uh, but it's one of the most rewarding parts of our business career. So I think today is super important. Um, I think, you know, you've always done a good job of telling people, you know, that they're really smart and they're going to make the right decision for them and their family if they understand the information and they're presented multiple options. You know, they're going to know what resonates with them. And I think mm -hmm. that's just the most important part of this whole thing is that you have a lot of options and um, you've probably made good decisions up until this point. And so why wouldn't you make a good decision if you were presented with all the information? Totally. Um, so. Which gets us to the first point I think I want to talk about. Emasking wealth or like accumulating wealth is, is I'm not going to say not that hard, but it's, you know, depending on what you do or, or what investments you put, like it's a different deal when you're starting to take income from those things because a whole different realm of activity is happening. One, you're not, in, you're not 
putting any more money into these accounts. Where as you are growing these these big accounts, your dollar cost averaging, which is basically you're sending money in on a consistent basis um, and buying at different price points. I just dollar cost averaged <laughs> in five seconds. Uh, so you're not doing that anymore because you're not adding to these accounts anymore. Um, and then you're starting to make sure that if the account does go down, when you're in the uh, income phase, kind of like retirement phase or time freedom, as Brian and I call it, uh, that's when it gets really dangerous if the if account starts to dip. Um, and so I'm not saying everybody can amass wealth, but kind of I'm saying that's easier than the income portion of um, this whole uh, life of your account. It's, it gets touchy. And if you have a couple negative years at the beginning, um, statistics show that you're way more likely to hit zero, which is like the worst case scenario for a lot of people is I just don't want to run out of money. Um, and so those kind of thoughts are, I think, important to just point out. You've done the, the right things to just accumulate wealth. Now it's time to take income. Um, and now it gets really sticky. And so I'm going to just kind of put two sides of the bookends here. <laughs> and then we can kind of talk about both. And then there's obviously a hybrid in the middle. But uh, at the end of the day, you can live off of your investments and there can be no guarantees. You can just try to make sure the market does what the market does. Um, the market goes up, market goes down, market goes sideways. Um, and you could have no guarantees on that. And that's 100% of your account over here. And you are just like a shaken leaf. Like you, you could be exposed. You might have enough money. You can take the ebbs and flows of the market over here. On the other side, you have all guaranteed income. There is nothing that the market can do that will do anything to your cash flow. Like those are the two bookends. So you have non-guaranteed, 100% non-guaranteed, and then you have 100% guaranteed income, which means that you're probably going to have to buy some insurance-based product to do that. Because as we all know, and I will put a caveat in my compliance officer, which is B-Dog uh, will love, is that we can never guarantee anything on the security side uh, that is not insurance-based except 100% loss. Now, ideally, you know, that would not happen, but that's the only thing we can guarantee when we have like a market-based product. Now, insurances have some guarantees involved. So there's a lot being thrown at you, but there's the bookends. Where do we start? And there's a hybrid in the middle and we'll go to it. But I think it's good to talk about the bookends. Yeah, I think that's really helpful. Um, I think in terms of income, it's proven. I mean, there's a lot of data out there coming out now. I think a lot of the information in terms of retirement income strategy, like in the 80s and 90s, when largely this whole idea of retirement income planning started and you had the explosion of the stock market in the 80s and 90s uh, leading up to the tech wreck. But uh, in that, you know, it was like 60% stocks, 40% bonds, and you can't lose. But, you know, with bonds mm -hmm. going down for 30 years in a row, interest rates, that means the price went up, which means bonds actually acted like stocks. Now, there's not a lot of place for interest rates to go. Uh, we continue to think they're going to go lower in the short term. 2020. Um, and, and so it's harder to generate yield and income in a retirement income plan uh, from a bond portfolio. And, you know, again, you led to guarantees. And so a lot of the data is showing that your paycheck 
the money that you need to come in, if you spend seven grand a month, you should have seven grand a month coming in. That should all be guaranteed, mm-hmm. whether that's pension, social security, or we pensionize part of your IRA, 401k, other assets to get the seven grand coming in. Um, there's lots of different ways to guarantee that through insurance products, but um, utilizing an insurance wrapper of some sort through an annuity or income-based annuity or indexed annuity to guarantee that that base level of income. And then uh, above that, having liquid money, because um, the other spectrum from non-guaranteed to guaranteed is, you know, liquidity is non-liquid mm-hmm. versus liquid. So, you know, having a liquid investment or brokerage account to act as your, you know, play money, I think is one of the ways I like to hear it described. Just you got your your paycheck money and you got your play check money. The paycheck mm-hmm. money is guaranteed. The play check money can be the money that's, you know, liquid and uh, invested in the stock market without a without an airbag. Totally. Okay. So I think let's just define the client type that we're talking about right now. Like, and I think we've done it, but I just really want to clarify. And there's there can be many people, but I think like the 55-year-olds, <laughs> this would probably resonate with, or, uh, you know, a little bit older to like the 65 or the people who are getting ready to punch out or the people who are already punched out. Um, punched out is probably a little aggressive, but uh, in financial freedom, uh, because they're starting to live off of their income, this is who we're talking about today uh, because I think it's just really nice and here's something I, fu- I figured out about myself recently. When somebody comes to me and I ask them for an opinion and they give it to me uh, and I start going down that path, I always will question when I hear another path after I'm down a path. Does this make sense? Yep. <laughs> like if I go to somebody and be like, hey, what should I do here? And they say, you should do this. Don't question it. Just do that. So I do that. And then maybe three, four weeks down the path, uh, somebody else is like, well, why don't you do this path? then I'll always question myself of being like, huh, maybe I should have done that path. (laughs) Okay. But what I would rather have is when I go to somebody and be like, hey, what should I do here? And they're like, well, here's your options, right? Give me options. (laughs) I just want to know my options. And then once I know my options and I pick an option, there's really no looking back in my personality or my, my, um, yeah, the way I'm wired. So, so that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so, all right, so let's talk through, some of this stuff, um, because there's a lot here. You talked about liquidity. You talked about guarantees. I yeah, mean, and I think I want to echo on that point. I think what we're trying to say is if you want an opinion on what you should do or how you should structure your money in retirement, we're typically giving you option A, yep. option B. Option A probably does involve insurance because we believe in insurance and it's in our ADV, our legal documents that has to state our conflicts of interest, that we do sell insurance. Uh, because we believe in it and because it's part of our overall planning philosophy. And so, or, and we've met a lot of people that really like what we do and what we say, but they don't want insurance. They've largely not purchased it in their life and they don't want it now when they're nearing retirement. Feels like an expense, feels unnecessary. They've made all this money in the stock market. There's really no use for it. So trying to understand the client type and then just show show them like, I kind of, the analogy we use sometimes is like, we're a grocery store. We have access to a lot of different stuff to help you financially. We're trying to understand where you're at and narrow it down to like, here's two aisles in the grocery store for, you know, what you're trying to do. 
Uh, we can go beyond that if those two don't work out. But based on everything we're hearing, seeing, you know, um, these are the two options I think that would probably best align with what you've told us. Totally. So I want to I want to preface this with two things. One, nowadays people don't normally have a pension, and back in the day, pensions were a lot of people's retirement income. Um, and then so that partnered with Social Security, they wouldn't like that would honestly probably handle eighty percent of their cash flow. Uh, maybe I'm being a little aggressive, but I think that's no, I think somewhat right on. Somewhat important. Well, nowadays, people don't have pensions. Like big companies have found that those pensions are costing them a lot of money. So they have taken those pensions pensions away. Um, and so, I mean, we just talked to somebody last week that she looked at her pension payout this year. And then next year, she looked at the, her pension payout. And you would think it would have gone up because more time normally means more money. But in this pension, it was going down. So they were incentivizing this person to either take their pension right now or take the lump sum. So the way that you can do these pensions is there's a there's probably a lot of options, but let's just talk about one. You can take the income from that pension, which is monthly check from that company, or you can take a lump sum of a lot of money or money. Let's just say more money. Like one time they're going to give you a check and then now you can do what you want to do with it. So those are the two two ideas. But a lot of times people just don't have that uh, pension now. And with the state of the, uh, I would say, economy and where we're at financially, a lot of people are kind of looking at their social securities like, I'm a little worried about that. Like, So I want to quickly talk about the social security because I think it's going to be important. And people have got to be thinking that like, is social security going to run out? Like, how does this work? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I want to, let's go into pensions. Let's stay there. Um how many pensions have been rated? A couple things on pensions. I think if you have one, you need to understand. One, we just heard of one company, so we'll use them. They're a manufacturing company that has a pension. Manufacturing is very capital intensive. It takes a lot of money, a lot of equipment, a lot of labor. If something goes wrong in that, they need to raise capital quickly and kind of shore up their balance sheet. Well, one of the quickest things they can do is to get rid of their pension liability because a pension on a corporate balance sheet is a liability. It's an expense that they have to put money into. These pensions are built on assumptions of certain interest rates based on their investment portfolio. Largely, they're invested in fixed income, not stocks. As the interest rates have pulled down to near zero, it creates a lot of stress on keeping a pension funded. When that funding goes down beyond a certain level, the insurance company who's basically administering the pension for the manufacturing company calls the manufacturing company and says, hey, well, you got to put more money in. And if they don't have the more money on their balance sheet because of what's going on in operations or the economy or what have you, that makes the pension very risky. And so these stock market fluctuations and more importantly, these interest rate fluctuations have a tremendous pressure on pension calculations. So it's really important that when you're looking at your pension, you've got to understand 20 to 30 year tail risk of what could go wrong in this industry or this business that this pension could go away or could be reduced. Um, they can change the deal largely. 
especially if you haven't started income. So that's just something to keep in mind. I think the other thing that we kind of tell people too, from a pension standpoint is if you have a pension and you take the income route instead of the lump sum route, that's really not an asset to you from your estate perspective. So if you have a half a million dollar lump sum option on your pension, or you're going to take $2,500 a month for the rest of your life, you can give, you know, typically the pensions have like a spousal or a beneficiary where they get 50% or 75% of the income for their life, whatever option you choose. Uh, But once those two people have passed away, that money is gone. There's no money coming back in uh, to your estate if you didn't spend it all. So the other advantage of taking the lump sum on your pension is putting that money with an insurance company whose sole business purpose is to guarantee income. That's their business model, not like a manufacturer. And now it's on your balance sheet because it's in a self-directed IRA. And now it's part of your estate, the half a million. Mm-hmm. So, And we could still use that to generate the $2,500 a month. So I think those are really important points to make, especially, you know, we're kind of shooting this video in the midst of this COVID-19 uh, fiasco. And so, you know, it's just going to put a lot of pressure on a lot of corporate balance sheets. Totally. To add there. And, yeah, no, I think that's good. And I still want to go back to social security and what your thoughts are on that. But before yeah. we do that, here's the deal of where we've, we've kind of went after the insurance idea earlier in our practice because bonds were not the place to go. As interest rates were going down, um, it's just not as appealing to put safe money there anymore. Like I think back 20 years ago when advisors, it was like, just put them in bonds. Like, and that was the right answer then. And what Brian and I found was the bonds weren't yielding a lot of interest rates. And so we had to figure out a new solution for our safer type money. And that's when we went to insurance products because it gave us a guarantee that it wouldn't go down. Um, and then maybe, you know, even some guarantee it goes up. So like the bond sleeve of a portfolio an insurance product can. Uh, exactly. And so that's how we use it. So I think that was just kind of a quick thing that I wanted to say. Yeah. Let's hit social security because we get this all the time. Um, (laughs) I don't know, at least once or twice a month, we get this question. So, Mm -hmm. um, and it's valid. I mean, I get it. I I largely don't view you and I and just almost (laughs) 40 years old getting social security, uh, at least before we're 70. Um, Mm -hmm. But social security is really driven by the taxpayer. The government doesn't make money. The government taxes and corporations then tax, but all of the tax money comes from the people, the consumer. Businesses don't pay tax. You know, you hear all the time like, well, Amazon didn't pay any tax on all their profits. Like, that's true. They are doing things to evade and get out of tax liability. But that's the way the corporate or the IRS code was written. Like Jeff Bezos, you can say what you want about the guy. The guy employs over 100,000 people and he's shipping products all over the world. Like there's, there's probably almost not a more important company in the world to the economy right now than Amazon. So I'm not, I'm not like heartbroken that this guy's not paying taxes because if he pays taxes, that means they're passing that to us, the consumer. And we're going to have to pay more for our goods and services from Amazon. Like the corporation will always pass the tax to the consumer. 
I bring all that up because Social Security is comes from a payroll tax off of our wages. And so that money goes in to the federal government and the, our Congress, um, the people that have been in there for 35 to 40 years, and because we don't have term limits on these people, they've spent it all. And they've not only spent it all, they've spent an extra $25 trillion. That's where our federal deficit is today. So the money is gone and they've spent it. And so now it's a matter of you know future people working and paying in payroll tax to support social security. With that said, and Warren Buffett just talked about this, I'd really, it was actually a pretty humbling shareholder meeting from Warren Buffett. I grew up in Omaha. I've been to the Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meeting, you know, almost 10 times. Um, And so Warren even talked about this a little bit of, you know, they asked him about, well, the dollar's going to hyperinflate. Well, he said, not really, because we can print the money in our own currency. A lot of countries in South America, for example, they'll issue bonds and dollars, but then they have like their own currency, like the, I think Brazil uses the Brazilian real. And so that creates a a pressure when you're borrowing in one currency, but you're transacting in a different currency. Mm -hmm. Well, we don't have that problem. So our currency is the dollar and we're issuing debt in the dollar, which means we could really issue as much debt as we need to cover our bills. Not saying that's ideal and it's totally you know, they're, they're printing money out of thin air. Um, that's why we've done a show on gold show on Bitcoin. You know, that's why you should own other assets, uh, because that doesn't create, create inflation, but largely back to the main point of social security, it's over. And like what you alluded to earlier for the average American social security is still like 45 to 55% of their monthly income. Mm-hmm. The other major demographic, you know, that's, important to us as a country, we're kind of more top of mind with it because it's our business. 10,000 people a day turn 65 for like the next, I don't know, 13 years, however long it is. It's basically the baby boomer population. Think about that statistic. Actually, in light of COVID-19, it's kind of intriguing or interesting to think about. 10,000 people a day turn 65. And so if you're still talking about, I think it's almost like, I don't know, 60 or 70 million people mm-hmm. in that demographic that are going to be going on to social security. And that's 50% on average of their monthly income that they need to survive. There is no way on earth that the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate can cut social security totally out. They have closed a few filing options that have reduced the social security, social security, like annual budget or what they have to give out, you know, like nine, 10 billion here, nine, 10 billion there. So they've closed a lot of the filing strategies that were, um, you know, really unique that if you understood the system, you could get more money out. I'd say creative ways to get more money out of social security by taking your, your spouse's half of hers. And then it was really creative. They've taken those away. That's why. Yep. Yeah. So they've capped some of that creativity, creative stuff. That's a great way to put it, Philip. But in large part, they cannot, I don't think they will reduce the Social Security benefit. I think what you will see is they're going to bring it down to like, you know, the main standard filing um, ways that they're, they're doing now to limit some of the creative stuff. And then they're going to move the goalpost. And they're talking about that too, where 
you know, for people sub 40, you know, it might move out to like age 70 or 72 because we're living longer. I think we've covered that in another show. When Social Security was created, it was like it, I think it started at 62, but the, or I think it started at 65. They added 62 later for, for people, but the life expectancy at the time was 61. Well, now the life expectancy, you know, for men and women, I think roughly it's like 77, 78 years old. So, I mean, it needs to change for sure. But for the baby boomer generation, largely, they cannot change it because they know they will never get reelected. Sure. And so would you say if you are what age or older, you're probably okay. Like it's probably going to stay the same. What would you say? I mean, we've heard this for, I don't know, I've been in, we've been doing this now over almost a decade. I've heard this for a long time. So I don't know if it's still true, but you know, a lot of these financial companies have lobbyists on Wall Street, uh, not Wall Street, sorry, Washington, D.C. And so they're trying to influence and, you know, update legislation as it benefits them, just like the banks do, just like the energy companies do, just like the healthcare companies do. And so what they've said, a lot of the preliminary legislation is that if you're over 55, they're not going to change the deal on you because you're too close. There's no way you can turn your ship fast enough, you know, to make up an extra, you know, if they were to cut that in half, you know, an extra $1,500 a month. That's a ton of money you got to come up with in, you know, a decade, basically. Mm -hmm. So if you're over 55 and they make changes, you know, I think you'd be good. Under 55, you know, that's where we're, I think that's really honestly probably one of the fastest growing demographics of our clients or the people that are, you know, 45 to 53, 55. And they're just like, I want out. I want to be done. (laughs) How can I retire at 60? Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this into my mid sixties or, you know, um, all of that. And so it's trying to help them move faster, get things organized and, uh, you know, how can they, how can they segue into retirement, uh, you know, sooner totally. than maybe they were planning on. So I think we go through all of that depth to kind of give you a lay of the land is like this money that you've now accumulated You've got some choices, but they're kind of heavy choices. At the end of the day, like there's a lot of decisions that you need to be making. And so here's the biggest choice. Do you want 100% guaranteed income with insurance products that your money comes in no matter what? The downside of that is usually they're illiquid. Like you give them the money and then it's kind of like you can't really get more money out. There's some caveats to that, but like, let's just say, very little liquidity to the other side of non-guaranteed where yeah, hundred percent liquid, but that account can go down and can fluctuate. So mm-hmm. here we are, we're there, we're there. I think it's important too. And like we cover this in our retirement income ebook. Uh, you can download that if you want. It's at uh, uncommonwealth.com backslash gifts. Uh, we kind of talk about this in there, but I think it's important when you talk about insurance, it's like, what risk are we insuring? And your four mm-hmm. major risks one is healthcare. So if, you know, you're sub 65, you probably have insurance through a corporation or, you know, we utilize MediShare for our families. Um, but if you're over 65, you have Medicare. And a lot of our clients on Medicare, they love it. Like it's simple. They get what they need, you know, all of that. Um, and so that is pretty straightforward. Then you have disability. Well, you're really not working anymore in retirement. So you don't really need disability insurance. So that kind of goes away. You have death benefit, you know, we're all guaranteed that we're not going to live forever. So you do you want, you know, permanent or whole life insurance or do you want term insurance just to cover a period of your potential retirement? 
And then, and then the last risk, uh, well, not the last risk, but the last kind of health life related risk is long-term care or critical illness. If you go into a nursing home, that type of thing, uh, we've all heard, you know, those stories about grandma and how much it costs and it's real. It's, you know, very expensive. And then from there on the investment side, you have longevity risk or income risk. Like, am I going to run out of money? Your actually biggest risk in retirement is longevity. Um, you know, a married couple in America right now, statistically 50% likely that one spouse lives into their nineties. So if you're retiring in your mid sixties, it's 50% chance one of you could live 30 years. That's a long time to plan income with no, no job, no money coming in outside of your investments. And so those are the main risks that insurance is protecting. And then it's a matter, obviously, of working with you, the client, to like how much of these risks weigh on you or, um, you know, impact your decision making and how much do you want to plan for each of those, you know, eventualities uh, or not. The ones I don't think you can ignore is income, right? Like if you don't have money coming in, the rest of them are kind of a moot point. And so that's really where the annuity decision uh, or income, guaranteed income decision comes into play. Yeah. Uh, so let's say let's say the average person, and I'm just making this number up, has $400,000 in their IRA or their 401k or the retirement plan. And they come to us. I think there's an interesting caveat to say, the first thing that we'll ask is how much do you need every month for you to live comfortably? Like you're not going, you know, on a vacation every week, you're not traveling the world, but like on average, I mean, you can go on some vacations, but like, what is it that you're averagely spending? We got to know that. Like that's important for us. If they say that they're only spending three grand, but in all actuality, they're seven, they're spending seven. Like you can see how this is a problem. So mm-hmm. if they say, hey, on average, I'm spending about $5,000 a month, um, that doesn't include debt reduction, house payment, like trying to take that out of that, but like $5,000 a month, then that's when we'll go to, okay, what assets do we have to work from, right? We have the 400,000. Do we have like, let's say social security? How old are you? Um, yeah. Let's try to maximize that and try to eat into some of that 5,000 with other people's money because I mean, other people's money you've been paying for uh, a long time. So let's try to maximize that as much as we can to eat into some of that monthly budget that you need. But first things first, you got to know what, how much you need. And if you don't know that, I'm telling you, it is a liability. <laughs> it's a liability. So for sure, find that first, then come to us or, or somebody, you don't need to come to us, but somebody and just tell them this is how much monthly I need. And then the next question that we'll have is like, okay, since we have $400,000, let's talk about the rule of 4% um, for our listeners. Yeah. And I think the last thing I'd add on budget is I think most people generally do know what they spend a month. Like if you say, yeah, I spend, we just need five grand a month. I think in large part, most people at that age, like know that's true. Mm. I think the difference is, is like, oh, we need a car. Oh, we're going to give the kids some money. Oh, we want to go on a trip. Oh, the roof, you know, and it's like, man, you do three or four of those things in a year or two years. And it's like, it alters the numbers quite a bit. And so it's like, are you going to be doing this every two years? Or is this just like an anomaly of, you know, wanting to take care of things or things are happening? You know, obviously life happens, but it's that extra stuff that I don't think people 
really take into account. And when you retire, that stuff has a massive impact because you're not working, you're not getting that additional cash flow to to compensate for those expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, unless you have that as part of your plan, but a lot of, a lot of people just don't think about that stuff. And um, so I just wanted to close the loop on that. Totally. Um, and I think there's, just, I love this. Uh, I'm just going to give credit. I don't, we were with some older people. They used to say older advisors. And I love this point that they made. I, they said, there's three phases of retirement. <laughs> Remember, there's a go, go stage where you yeah. are like, go, go, go. Right. There's a go slow stage where things are starting to slow down. And then there's a no go stage. Yeah. Uh, and obviously cash flow is different for all three of those. And so um, I think to balance that go, go stage with, yeah, you feel healthy. I mean, you're healthy, you're rocking and rolling, have a lot of money, you know, like it's time to like love, you know, live and love and go. But then there's also a time of like, oh, now you're going too fast. There's too, too much go, go, too much go, go. So go, go, go slow, no go in retirement. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah, $400,000. We got um, this client that uh, is looking to retire. We're looking at their social security. We see that maybe $2,400 is coming in from social security. Um, we mm-hmm. figure out the whole Medicare uh, situation uh, for them. For, so healthcare is kind of a balance there. And then we really want to say like, okay, how, what's your risk tolerance? That's when we go to risk tolerance and the 4% mm-hmm. rule. So all right, let's oh, go to the 4% rule. Yeah, so the 4% rule, just basically a lot of math has been done. Um, I think it was done in the 70s or 80s, but it basically said how much could you take off a portfolio? A lot has come out lately that has suggested that study that generated the 4% rule is more for institutional mm-hmm. uh, investors, uh, like pensions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and largely, um, not saying it doesn't apply in purity to you know personal retirement income, but it's not really what the study was designed to test. Mm. Uh, but to explain it, it basically means that you should only take 4% off of a portfolio of income if you don't want to run the risk of it running out of money. And so if you just think about it, 100 grand at 4% would give you $4,000 a year of income sustainably. Now, when you hear that, you're like, oh my gosh, I need you know $2 million to live. And that largely may be true. And it comes down to what Philip said. It's all about your budget. And if you are spending $120,000, $150,000, $250,000 a year and you want to keep doing that, you're going to need a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But if you're spending five grand a month and that's largely what it is at the end of the year, you know, 50, 60 grand, you don't need, you know, millions and millions of dollars to retire if you have Social Security, if you have a pension or something else. So that 4% rule is just the withdrawal rate based on the probability of you potentially running out of money. And Philip, you kind of alluded to it earlier in the show. Uh, if you take, you know, negatives, um, negative returns up front, when you start taking income out, it acts as like a double, double effect on your withdrawal rate. You know, if you're taking out four or 5% on a hundred grand, and then the market goes down 20% and you take that, and now you're down 25%, mm-hmm. you just turned a hundred grand into 75 grand in one year. It's very unsustainable, uh, potentially, um, you know, if your portfolio doesn't recover, the market doesn't recover. So that's what the 4% rule is. Uh, and it's a quick way to kind of just gut check, you know, where you're at. Mm-hmm. And so I would say for the 400,000, $16,000 a year is that 4% rule. Mm-hmm. So you have that. 
Yep. Uh, so now it needs to be like, okay, like obviously $16,000 plus the, so what's that a month? Let's just quick do that. that it's like $1,300 a month plus the $2,400 for social security. You're at $3,750, let's just say a month. And you need four, we need, we need five grand. So mm-hmm. like there's a gap there. So now we really need to talk about like, okay, what can we do to like figure this whole thing out? Do we want to do more guarantee uh, guarantees that will give us, you know, what we need? Or uh, do we want to try to uh, get a little higher rate of return? And that's why it goes to risk, right? What is your risk? What is your family's risk? What are you and your wife's risks? Um, what do you need this money to do? What other assets do we have to play on? Um, and that's, that's kind of the, the whole basis of this thing. And Guaranteed income for Brian and I just know that it does give people peace of mind. Mm-hmm. It does. It, I mean, it's, it's that paycheck and then play, play check money um, for us that our clients really do like uh, when all their money or their base need is all guaranteed. So everything else is coming in. They feel like they can do fun things about it or, or do other things. So yeah, the other uh, thing, like if you do more of an investment, only uh, retirement income strategy, like where your money is largely going to be the market. You don't really want to secure a death benefit or long-term care. You have to understand that we call this phantom liquidity. Let's say you have $2 million in your 401k and you really don't need that much income off of it. You know, you have a pension, you have social security. Um, It seems like a lot of money, but when you look at it that way and you're not carrying a death benefit to your grave with like, you know, whole life insurance. Um, you know, there's a difference between whole life term and permanent life. Um, but let's just focus on whole life because it's, you know, 100% guaranteed. If you don't carry a death benefit in retirement through an insurance product, psychologically, you're going to view that pot of money as your death benefit too. So it's serving two purposes. One, income. We kind of call this this phantom liquidity is like, that two million, if it's set aside for income, it now has a job function. And then if you don't buy insurance to help fulfill your legacy, it now has two job functions. And so it not only needs to produce the income you need in retirement sustainably, it is now also the money you're going to leave behind, you know, in large part to your heirs. Now, if you have a home, you know, maybe you could sell your home or some possessions, I don't know, collectibles, but let's just focus on the main thing. Then if you don't buy long-term care insurance, which, you know, you have the right to do, now that pot of money is doing three job functions. And so that's really what you've got to start thinking about. If, if you had something major happen and you had to pull out a hundred grand of that money, and now it's at 1.9 and like, you know, the stock market goes down 20, 30% and the way you were allocated, you took a large portion of that downside. And let's say you need 50, 60 grand a year to live off of, off that money. There is a lot of pressure on that pot of money to do a lot of things for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know a lot of our clients. It just doesn't seem like that's how they want to do retirement. And the mm-hmm. peace of mind that comes from having a whole life policy that can facilitate death benefit in the event of your death can facilitate you know, um, critical illness or like long-term care type money because you can spend down the death benefit. If you go into a nursing home, all that's built into the same product. And then, oh, by the way, you have cash value inside the whole life policy too that grows compounded 
you know, free of tax guaranteed because you're largely not getting any interest on cash in the bank. Well, that whole life policy is doing three things for you with the same money. It's acting as liquidity for cash. It's acting as a death benefit to give you kind of like that hall pass permission slip when you had to go to the bathroom back in the day at school. Uh, It gives you the permission to spend down your investment money because you have a death benefit that's guaranteed. And then, oh, by the way, if you do go into a nursing home, you could access the death benefit that way, you know, before you pass away. It's doing those three things. So now your investment money is just all, it's only core focused or job is income. Mm -hmm. And so that's really how insurance can take a lot of pressure off your investments and actually probably give you more money because now you can be more aggressive in the market, which is counterintuitive. And when you retire, because you have the insurance risk created on the other side. So that's kind of how we want people to think about it. And you don't think about it largely in that way as you're accumulating wealth, because, you know, we're just young, we feel like we're not going to pass away, nothing's going to go wrong. We're optimistic about the future. We have a good job. We have good income. We're saving. And when you stop stop getting income in, that whole kind of script flips a little bit in terms of the financials and how all this works. And and the risk is shifting constantly as we age too. And so it's mm-hmm. just important to keep all that in context. And our job, honestly, is to just lay all of these things out. Like some of these things like you might not even think about is like, well, long-term care or income risk. Our job is to try to make your money the most efficient way possible. And sometimes it is to have multiple uses on your money and not just one use like Brian's talking about. So we hope that this this episode was uh, one, enjoyable and two, informative to you of kind of laying all this stuff out. That's kind of like a little glimpse into Brian and I say my head when we start talking about retirement is there's a lot of pitfalls that we want to try to help navigate our clients through. Um, And so if you have any questions, um, you can always go to www.uncommonwealth.com. Click on, uh, you know, free consultation. We would love to talk through some of the ideas or some of the questions that you have. Um, That's what we love to do. I love those 15 minute calls and a lot more people are starting to take advantage of that, which is fun for us because our Mm -hmm. job is to serve you uh, and put you in the greatest place. Um, and then also, I'll just say that if you got through this whole thing and you're not in the income retirement age or, or retirement like downslope or whatever you want to call this, um, you know, like this is this is probably eye opening and as well as probably strengthens our philosophy of what are you going to do in retirement? And I have a feeling you're probably going to be working, but just doing something that you love to do. Um, and so, how do we get you to that point faster? Um, that's our job right? And our job is to make goals and help you achieve those faster um, and unlock how you're uniquely gifted. And so I'm really grateful that you took the time, listen to our show, always am. Thank you for rating it. Uh, Thank you for just all the feedback that you've been giving us. I mean, it's enjoyable for both Brian and I to get on this for 40 minutes and just uh, spit back and forth some stuff that I hope is helpful to you. But uh, any closing thoughts you have, Brian? No, uh, just go forth and be uncommon. And uh, yeah, like you said, we're always here to help and serve and love talking to people and walking through their different personal situations. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Uncommon Life Project. I'm your host, Philip Ramsey. And I'm Brian Dewhurst. Have a great day. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. That's all for this episode of the Uncommon Life Project. 
brought to you by Uncommon Wealth Partners. Be sure to visit UncommonWealth.com to learn more about our services. Don't miss an episode as we introduce you to inspiring people who are actively pursuing an uncommon life.